This week on Bloodstream, we celebrate World Hemophilia Day by hearing from a group of students from Brown University working with Save One Life. We also speak with USB7 Foundation Chairman Bo Bigelow about recent funding to support research into curing the ultra, ultra rare disease that affects his daughter, Howe Fountain Syndrome. They really would be upset, I think, if you went your own way and, and did all this stuff on your own. Instead, they're like, here, copy my homework. Like, I've already done this thing, this really hard thing you're trying to do. So copy off me. Go ahead. Hi, all. I am your host, Patrick James Lynch. And I am your other host, Amy Board. Subscribe to the Bloodstream Podcast on Apple Pods or wherever you listen. Subscribe already, then please rate and review the show and share posts from our Bloodstream Media Facebook and Twitter pages. Bloodstream Media is on Instagram, too. Patrick, you're leaving out the best one. Sharing is harder on Instagram, Amy. And this is a conversation about sharing right now, which, for the record, easy to do on LinkedIn. I'm just saying. I'm not taking the bait. I am not taking the bait, but I am reminded to share that while clearly Patrick and I are not doctors, we do recommend you speak to at least one of those before making any healthcare decisions. Thank you to our presenting sponsor, Takeda. Thank you all for listening. Welcome to Bloodstream. And hello, Amy, friend, co-host, colleague, birdwatcher, Swifty, Broncos fan. What am I leaving out? Nothing. It's the list of my personality. Thank you. You're welcome. How are you, Amy? I'm well. I'm doing really great. How are you? How are things? <laughs> things are good. I got, uh, you know, Vivian got her non-bloodstream believe debut this past weekend, so that was kind of exciting. I heard. Um, it was a little intimidating to realize, okay, I'm on baby duty and we have a breaking through vocal ensemble at the same time. But I decided that I am a dad and these are things that work in dad's we work in dads. We got to figure out. So I was uh, I was excited to then bring her into the group and uh, try not to distract everybody too, too much from the great work that was being done prior to my and Vivian showing up. I love hearing about Vivian. How was the ensemble? Was it wonderful? There, And maybe we should speak a little bit about what the Breaking Through Ensemble is. Right. So we have, maybe haven't mentioned it in a minute. So the Breaking Through Vocal Ensemble is meeting every other Saturday uh, for the next couple few months to work on uh it's a combination of vocal performance and also healthy and safe ways to think about breathing and mind body connection and the use of your voice as an instrument and how you express yourself through that instrument we're using songs from the breaking through musicals that we've created um as the the, the bedrock for the the workshop so to speak uh, and they're really, they're great. There's two of them. There's an adult one and there's a youth one. The adult one is fun because the people in it, a bunch of them I have known from stuff over the years. So it's cool to be getting together in this different format. And the youth one is kind of like a breaking through reunion of sorts because we have people from the 2018, 19 and 20 programs in there too. So it's like the, the, the legacy of it is very, very clear. So that, that struck me big time this weekend. And it's also still open. It's an open enrollment kind of thing. It's a come and go, drop in, drop out. You don't have to subscribe for every one of them. So if you're listening, you're like, oh, I would like something like that. Breaking Through Hemophilia is the website, breakingthroughhemophilia.com. And there's a little tab for the 2021 ensemble. That'll give you the information that you need. So you can check that out. And as long as I'm mentioning things, you should check out the Teen Impact Awards. We had a National Siblings Day this past week and put out a post reminding everybody siblings are a part of this community. So if you know of a young person in our community, including a sibling of somebody affected by a bleeding disorder, nominate them for a Teen Impact Award if they're doing something that deserves a little bit of recognition. 
during the pandemic, there have been restrictions on just how much of an impact I guess any of us could make, but that doesn't mean young people all around are, do, are not doing incredible things to make a difference. So let's give them the recognition they deserve, teenimpactawards.com, to nominate a young person from the Bleeding Disorders community. And as part of that, too, is the Adam Lynch Scholarship, named after my brother. It's a scholarship hosted by the National Hemophilia Foundation, which you can contribute to if you would like to, but it is distributed as part of the Teen Impact Award. So if you know of someone who would be uh, a great candidate for a scholarship that is intended to help somebody pursuing higher education um, and who's looking to use their voice and their powers as an advocate as they go forward, then they should consider the Adam Lynch Scholarship. Again, teenimpactawards.com. There you will find a tab for uh, scholarship. I'm naming a lot of stuff, so I'm going to put links in the program notes. And you can also, of course, email us, mailbag at bloodstreammedia.com if you want more information about the Breaking Through Ensemble, the Teen Impact Awards, or the Adam Lynch Scholarship. And, you know, we didn't talk about it last week, but um, just because we're talking about the scholarship that's uh, in memory of Adam, memory of your brother, two significant dates were last week. Ryan White's, uh, the anniversary of his passing, and also your brother, also Adam's anniversary. I will be honest, I uh, was, <laughs> I, I haven't made the connection that those two significant anniversaries are so close together. And I, I wonder what that's like for you. You work so profoundly with um, Ryan's story, with Jeannie, with his legacy. And then um, also you are shepherding your brother's legacy as well. This week must have been, must have been a little bit heavier. Just wondering how you're doing. I posted something about this too. National Siblings Day always falls like the day before I don't know if it's always April 10th or the first fr or whatever, but it's always like the day before or two days before the anniversary of my brother's passing. So yeah, you got Ryan, you have the National Siblings Day, you have Adam's Day, which on, on some level I think is actually very helpful because it's, it sort of spreads the feelings out a little bit. It's not so concentrated to one day. There's sort of a few days of like, okay, on this day. In the past, the days have snuck up on me. You know, grief is a funny thing. I think I've done a good job of putting my loss into action, but it doesn't mean that the process of grieving and the long road to healing, the nonlinear road to healing, uh, hasn't been tricky. And that's something I've, I, I'm talking about a little bit more and more and, and coming to terms with. And I'm really re proud of what I've been able to do in Adam's memory and how his story and my story are now forever so intrinsically connected and the impact that through me he's been able to have on so many. But yeah, this day does sometimes ca catch me off guard because I forget just how raw it can sometimes still be. And historically, I'm working and on set and usually quite busy on this day, which has not helped uh, the things. So it was it's nice this year and last year it was quieter times. I think that helped. And look, this year I had Vivian, you know, and my mom and I were swapping messages about, well, this is the best April 11th that we have... Uh, had in a while. So we, we took great comfort in that. And I, I called Jeannie on the 8th just to check in and she was doing some crafts with friends of hers. Crafting is a big uh, pastime of hers. And, you know, there's not too much you can say on any of these days. Ryan's been gone over 30 years. My brother's been gone 14. So you've kind of said all the things you can say, but it's good to check in. It's good to take a beat. And, and I'm happy to say this year was not as, as heavy as uh, this period has been in years past. 
I'm struck that both uh, Ryan's family with Jeannie and you with Adam have responded to your loss with profound action. And I just wonder, um, you know, in those, in the lifetime of grieving someone as, you know, you never get over it. You just like learn to live with it. You know, I wonder... um, just asking, you know, being so involved and, you know, I, I'm with you. I hear, you know, Adam's story quite a bit, what that does to live it 365 days a year. And then, you know, what is special about this one day, this one particular day of remembrance? Jeannie and I have talked about how emotionally taxing it is for her to share Ryan's story, even 30 years later, time after time. And, and she really gives herself over to it when she shares it as an acting teacher of my past would say, she relives it as she is telling it. And so we've talked about using video a bit more to tell parts of the stories because there, there's video that exists and it could take some of the burden off of her. So that comes to mind when you ask that question and the interconnectedness as I see it between Adam and Ryan. And for me, I think I've learned to um, not compartmentalize, but I think the ways in which Adam activates and motivates a lot of my professional activity is separate from how I personally feel and am doing with his loss in my life, depending on wherever I am in my journey in life. So I do think I've been able to kind of keep those separate in a way that's helped. But as I said to you just a few minutes ago about April 17th, or excuse me, World Hemophilia Day, April 11th, sometimes catching me off guard. um, I can also think of times that I've been at HFA and, uh, you know, dipping in on the remembrance ceremony in between a gene therapy presentation and some other meeting. And it's another thing in the schedule, but being in that room and my being being shifted by a room full of people who are honoring those that are no longer with us. And suddenly something I could have just been talking about Adam in the prior meeting very easily. And suddenly I'm now in this place and I'm silently sobbing. So that that's kind of strange, but I've, I've learned that that's part of this, this community being a part of it, that kind of dual role thing. And that's part of grief is that it it pops up and it has unexpected appearances. And I just try to be graceful with myself when those come up and give them a little bit of attention. They don't last. I had one moment on the 11th this year that was like a bit of a cathartic cry for 15 seconds, just a memory that kind of struck in a resounding way. And it came and it went and it's like, okay, interesting. Moved right along. Well, I am quite honored to have a little bit in Adam's legacy with this scholarship mm. and to watch these incredible, you know, students come forth. And the applications last year on our inaugural year were um, really inspiring and they were they were incredible. And, you know, how wonderful to do this thing. And so just to reiterate for listeners, the Adam Lynch scholarship is available and the due date is, I believe, May 1st or May 4th. Coming up soon. Get oh those applications gosh. in. Oh my gosh, we're going to have to go onto the website and check that. <laughs> yeah. You can also check the website. Get those applications in, get nominated for your Teen Impact Award, a rising scener. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, but this is, this is really great. It's, it's a very special and very alive part of what we do. So um, get those applications in. We We want to celebrate his life by celebrating yours. And I'm far from the only person whose loved one's experience with a rare disease has motivated them into action. 
uh, my pal Bo Bigelow. Similarly, uh, his daughter, as Amy mentioned at the top, has this ultra rare disease called Howe Fountain Syndrome. And the foundation that Bo is the chairman of was just recently uh, a part of getting a $100,000 grant toward research for a cure moving. And this is a landmark uh, grant for this ultra rare community. And I'm excited to talk with Bo. Amy had a nice conversation with him, a quick one, getting updates on what's happening at the foundation. He's also the co-founder of the Rare Disease Film Festival and the Disorder Channel on Roku and Amazon Fire. He's also an attorney and he has his daughter Tess and a podcast. So there's a lot that we get into in like the 10 minutes that we had together. It's coming up next. Just after I remind listeners that today's Bloodstream episode is made possible by our partner, Takeda. Takeda has been helping patients manage their bleeding disorder for over 70 years and is there to support you no matter where you are on your bleeding disorders journey. Join Takeda in celebrating World Hemophilia Day by visiting bleedingdisorders.com, where you can connect with the bleeding disorders community, access tools and resources, and learn more about how to manage your bleeding disorder. Wherever your bleeding disorder takes you, Takeda is there to support you every mile of the journey. With that, let's get to my conversation with Bo Bigelow. He's the chairman of the USP7 Foundation, co-founder of Disorder the Rare Disease Film Festival, as well as the Disorder Channel, available free on Roku and Amazon Fire TV. And he's the host of Stronger Every Day, a podcast about his journey with his daughter, Tess. I'm joined now by attorney, rare disease dad, and friend. Bo Bigelow. Hey, Bo. Welcome back to Bloodstream. Hey, Patrick. Thanks for having me. It's great to be back on the show. You like that I snuck that little attorney reference in there, too? You didn't <laughs> see that coming, did you? That was a, that was a curveball, I got to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bo, some listeners might recall from uh, previous appearances, and we've certainly talked a bit about the Rare Disease Film Festival and such in the past. So your daughter, as I just mentioned, she has something that's called Howe Fountain Syndrome. It's a rare genetic disorder caused by mutations in the USP7 gene, hence the name of the foundation, the USP7 Foundation, with just 80, 80 known patients worldwide, which is a remarkable thing to say out loud. Uh, it leads to autism spectrum disorder, increased prevalence of epilepsy, developmental or intellectual disabilities, abnormal brain MRIs, speech impairment, hypotonia, gastrointestinal issues, and eye abnormalities. Now, April 7th was Howe Fountain Awareness Day, and your foundation announced a new $100,000 research grant that was awarded to an Austrian-based startup, I believe, that's in search for a cure. And that's obviously excellent news, and when it concerns your own kid, it's all the more excellent, of course. But I'm curious, as an advocate, Bo, and given the leadership role you've taken with this foundation, if we zoom out a little bit, can you help us appreciate what makes this grant particularly significant? Also, if I got anything wrong in that ramp up, correct me. No, you nailed it. You got everything right. I, I'm impressed. Um, yeah, so th what's exciting about this is that um, this is a startup that we're dealing with. These are the founders are these two PhDs in Austria, um, Guy Novarino and, and Karsten Pfeffer. And they've done some of this work for other foundations like ours in the past. Um, and so what we did is we attended this conference in, in 2017. It was our very first family conference um, in Houston at, at Baylor College of Medicine. And we gave skin samples at that time to Christian Schaff, who's kind of the expert on our disease, the world's foremost expert. And so, and the skin samples are kind of like in that scene, you know, at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark, when the Ark goes into storage, okay. they, only these are coming back out of storage. Like 
you know, <laughs> years later, and we're going to take those samples with these, the help of these Austrian friends of ours and, and turn them into brain cells. So wow. what's cool is that my daughter Tess gave her skin and these brain cells will be the same as hers. So we can study those cells without having to look at her actual brain. We look at these, uh, you know, in addition, that will be true of the other five samples as well. So we're, we're pretty excited about it. Wow, that's uh, amazing. So wait, other five samples, so are there six samples in total being studied? There are, yeah. There, I know that there are seven total, and I think they're going to take six of them and then also compare them to um, non-diseased cells and kind of see how, how they're different and, and what those changes are. And what are you wait? I know it's a two-year grant, I believe. What are you, what are the milestones for you? What are you kind of waiting to hear about next? Yeah, it's it's really changing those um, samples into those brain cells. That takes time and mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't always work the first time around. It's kind of a, a difficult process. It's really kind of technical. And and so some, that, that takes time to grow those. Um, and then also this project involves some mice, some mouse models with this disease mm -hmm. as well. And those take time to grow as well. They're just, just starting out. They're like just born. And so we've got to wait for these things to mature over time. Yeah, we have our fair share of hemophilia mice out there that once in a while I, uh, you know, have to pour one out for. Hey, hemophilia mice, thank you guys for your service. We uh, we really do need you. <laughs> um, so I, I hear that. So I mentioned that Tess is one of only 80 known cases worldwide, which again, like, wow. Um, so that leads me to think for, for rare disease parents, which of course parents of people with hemophilia are, but then particularly for the ultra rares like you, what is something that you have learned in the establishing of the foundation, working towards this grant? What's something you've learned that other rare disease parents, in particular maybe the ultra rares, might benefit from hearing? Yeah, that's a good question. I think for us, it's been a struggle. We just, I think everyone who's in the ultra rare camp, they just want to get on the map. You know, it's like, mm. we're over here, we're trying, we have a thing. Mm. No one's talking about it. There's no ribbon or, you know, awareness day when you're first starting out and you just, you just want to get noticed. You want to get in the paper or have somebody be talking about your disease. And right. so what I think is great about this community is there's so many people who've already done all this work. They have been working in ultra rare for years and they have kind of an established awareness day and they've, they've done some of these studies already. They've funded some grants and so they are on the map and they want to help you. They, they want to share their homework. They want to show you what they've already learned. And so they really would be upset, I think, if you went your own way and, and did all this stuff on your own. Instead, they're like, here, copy my homework. Like, I've already done this thing, mm -hmm. this really hard thing you're trying to do. So copy off me. Go ahead. Like, it's not only not frowned upon, it's like encouraged in this community. So what I would say to the people out there who are dealing with ultra rare is like, start start bugging people, you know, find people on Twitter, send them a DM or, you know, shoot them an email or whatever, and just say, Hey, you know, can we get on the phone? Can you share your, your thing, your template, your spreadsheet, whatever you're doing to find patients, like share your methods with me and, and, you know, help me out here and people will do it. They're really cool. They're generous with their time. It's, it's a beautiful thing. It really is. That's good advice. And I've had success with that kind of outreach too, sending a DM on LinkedIn or responding to a tweet, kind of seeing where someone who I might be interested in is most active and trying to engage them there and just get a conversation started. I have too, I've found people very generous and I love that idea of, you know, people, you know, yeah, here, take my homework. It's so true. They're, the spirit of sharing. And we talk as advocates about if I'm, I was thinking of this one story of a mom in Iowa who had a son with, it doesn't, the specifics are not too important, but hemophilia, a lot of complications. And she wasn't satisfied with 
the answer she was getting from her doctor it just wasn't sitting well with her. So she consulted another physician. Eventually, she stumbled on some uh, crucial information that changed her son's life. And she was then able to take that back to her treatment center and to her local community and say, hey, when we see X, Y, and Z, it might be you know, one, two, three. And so it's, again, it's like, you're not just doing your own homework. You're kind of always doing homework for everybody. So why not just share it freely if it's explicitly asked for? So I, I appreciate that very much. I want to talk to you about the Disorder Film Festival, the Rare Disease Film Festival, because I loved my experience there at the end of 2019, which feels so, so, so long ago now. And obviously you guys had to pivot. And when I say you guys, you and your partner, Daniel DeFabio, co-founders of the Rare Disease Film Festival, and really put your focus, I believe, into the Disorder Channel. And I'll ask you about that in just a moment. But first, the Rare Disease Film Festival. Can you remind our listeners, what's the top line of the film festival and what is the future of it looking like? Yeah, um, well, we, we started this together, Daniel and I, two rare disease dads and uh the last one was in san francisco and i, I think about that all the time um and i and i miss it we were really we were supposed to be in new york in may 2020 and that didn't pan out and as it is right now we we don't have a plan for 2021 we're just still kind of thinking we are going to be the last thing to reopen like right af after bars and ballparks like we're we're at at the bottom of the list after those <laughs> yes just because our audience is it's composed you know of mostly people who have rare stuff and are like the most affected if they get sick so we don't want to have that on us so we really want to bring the festival back it will come back it may have to be 2022 or just kind of weighing our options see how vaccination turns out and, and we really hope to be back um 2022 at the latest well that's totally reasonable and as you said something that we in the rare disease world are uh, going to have to come to peace with as things do open back up. Our stuff is going to open back up later than everybody else's for the reasons that Bo just laid out. So the Disorder Channel then, um, you, as I mentioned earlier, it is on Roku. It is on Amazon Fire TV. Uh, what's on it and where can people find it? Yeah, so um, if you have Roku or Amazon Fire TV, that's 80 million households. Uh, that's what we're on so far. And uh, it's a free channel. You can just add it. Just search for the Disorder Channel and you can add us. Um, and everything on it is free. There's no like pay for, you know, any of those, the selections that are on it. So we've got uh, something like a hundred, I think, films and videos now total. And uh, we've started to do some original programming. So we have a show that we've just started doing called Once Upon a Gene TV. Uh, we started it with Effie Parks, who has this amazing podcast, Once Upon a Gene. And so we, together with her, we created a TV version and it's comes out about every month and it's just interviews with rare disease parents and advocates um, about about the stuff that affects us all with rare whether it's like sibling stuff or dealing with hospital visits um, that kind of stuff just managing your care we just think it's really good to have these conversations with these kind of rock star people who are doing it right and so um, we're excited about that and some of our uh, other original programming that we're that we're coming out with soon and then also um, this year I can't say too much about it yet but later this year we're gonna have some resources available for people who are looking to make their own films like they they want to get into mm. a festival like ours or they want to get on our channel and they just they don't have a film and they want one uh, we really want to help you make that film so I can't really reveal too much about it right now, but I can My say favorite. there's going to be some resources. Yeah, it's it's coming. It's coming. I always love those partially confidential teases. I'm guilty of them as well. But it's like, ooh, what is underneath <laughs> that? All right. Well, that's that's good to know and something to keep an eye on. Uh, and then lastly, Bo, just before we wrap up, Stronger Every Day, your podcast. What's going on in the world of Stronger Every Day right now? Yeah, so um, I've been doing it every week. Uh, I just passed 
uh, the, tomorrow will be episode 326. And um, so there wow. was some news about this grant. So you can get some more details about the really sciencey pieces of it. And then also just kind of what's going on with Tess in our house. I've really talked a lot about how she's done with the pandemic and coming from the place where she is and, and her challenges, I think, with, with social, dealing with people at school and what that looks like, just kind of understanding like, okay, I wear a mask now and, oh, I can only go to school some of the time. And um, just, just what the pandemic looks like from her point of view. I think it's really good to talk about, you know, what she's going through and how she's handling it and how she's coping. And so a lot of stuff about that. Well, you can find the Stronger Everyday podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find Bo Bigelow across the social media platforms or the Rare Disease Film Festival, all ways that you can look him up and his work. We'll also have links in the program notes if you're interested in learning more. Bo, thanks for giving us a few minutes. Congratulations on the Awareness Day, on this grant, on everything that you're doing with USP7. I think at some later date, it would be interesting to talk more about what does it mean to found, start a foundation and to start one as an ultra-rare population as well. So we'll have to save that for another day. Um, so until that, that's my tease, actually. So you've got a tease and I've got a tease. That's what we'll talk about next time. How's that? <laughs> I love it. I love it. Let's do it. Thanks for having me. This has been great. You got it. Thanks, Bo. Thank you, Bo. And a reminder to check the program notes for links to keep up with all that Bo is doing. How Fountain Syndrome, such an, an ultra rare population, April 7th was there. Uh, World Awareness Day, of course, April 17th is World Hemophilia Day, something of significance to our community. And Amy Bloodstream, we had an unusual experience this year in the run-up to World Hemophilia Day. We had a group reach out to us to see if we could help amplify what they were doing in honor of World Hemophilia Day, which was a first. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what we were about to hear? It was so cool. I was contacted out of the blue from a group of students from Brown University that are working with Save One Life. They have a proxy program with their capstone project to work with nonprofit organizations in the Boston area. And Save One Life was on the list. And they are working with Save One Life volunteer Isaiah Martinez for the SHARE program. And our listeners should know about the SHARE program. If you don't, it is a donation factor program on Save One Life's website. Um, you can donate factor that perhaps uh, you are not using uh, that particular assay. Perhaps you have changed products and you have some um, clotting factor left over. You can donate your unused factor to Save One Life and get it over to communities that need it across the globe. And these students from Brown um, came in and looked at the program and made suggestions and uh, recommendations of how best to streamline this this program. So they're bringing our beloved Save One Life into the technology age with things like return labels and like, you know, like they do with Amazon. They're fantastic. <laughs> I can't wait to uh, share this conversation. I'm here with students from Brown University who are working with Save One Life. We'd like to welcome you guys all to the podcast. Isaiah, Yutano, welcome. And of course, your mentor and volunteer with Save One Life. Isaiah Martinez is with us. How are you doing? How are you guys surviving the pandemic? How, how are you doing? <laughs> We're doing good. I'm finishing half my classes this week. And so that cuts out a lot of work for me. But I still have a lot of writing papers and all that to do. So... Are you guys on campus? Are you in dorms? Do you have to be quarantined in dorms? How does that work? So thankfully, I am off campus, yeah. Oh, 
Yeah, I'm also off campus, but I'm also a football player or a former football player that you know got taken away because of COVID. There's a whole bunch of protocols in place of how we all getting tested and some people are quarantined and Brown's just trying to make sure that we're all safe. I know, I, I again, we want to talk about Save One Life, but I do want to ask, has there been, this is, this is like a deep, smushy question, but has there been some grieving? <laughs> you know, I mean, college is a short amount of time. It's this very special time. Has there been some grieving of the past year? I feel that this school is really hard on academics and I love to learn and read. But I am pretty sad that I missed out on that fun college experience. So it's it's definitely not like the Brown experience that I really cherished in my four years here. I, I miss so much like walking outside after class and everyone's like, it's like a herd because they're all walking outside because classes end at the same time. You, you don't see that anymore. So what has it been like working on a project like this? This is a capstone. So it's like a project you guys are working with a group. You're working obviously with an organization. We know the organization Save One Life well on the podcast, but tell me a little bit about this capstone, what it's been about, what are the objectives and what it's been like, you know, working with a nonprofit organization. How has it gotten you out of your shells a little bit? This is why I'm smiling now, because this is the best part. Working on this capstone has been magical. What I want to talk about is going off of what Utan has been saying about this environment on campus, right? It's so easy to get stuck and regimented into an old way of thinking because you're not meeting new people and you're not um, thinking as innovatively as you were. So given the opportunity to work alongside an organization as special as this one has been phenomenal. One key thing to Save One Life that has been really, really cool to see is, is, is the information that they share. I mean, myself, I didn't really know too much about it. I thought this is really cool. And this, this type of um, ideas that we all share as students and being able to implement them into an organization and see how they work is amazing because as you leave this collegiate space, a lot of times you get stuck into these uh, corporate worlds that require certain things and they have a certain precedent for how things are done. And you might see a, like a, a stunt in growth. And being able to work mm -hmm. alongside an organization like this and being able to work with people and meet Lori Kelly and, and be able to hear her story and say, okay, cool, well, these are our objectives here. And let's see if we can continue to make this huge impact on the world. That has been special. We were going to have a meeting um, with Lori Kelly, Chris Bombardier, Isaiah, and all kind of get together on this. And that was special because right off the bat, we were able to hear this wonderful story of, of how she started Save One Life and how she actually herself went and embedded herself into these communities. There's a lot of problems in this world and, and, and there are ways that we can engineer solutions for them, but it's just taking that step. So it's been very empowering. It's been, it's been amazing um, to be able to try to, to help and, and, and come up with ideas and, and implement them and go forward. Tana, what about you? Yeah, I honestly have loved this class because it's very hands-on, obviously. With Save One Life, there was a whole list of different organizations that we could work with. And that it, Save One Life actually was my first choice, which I was happy I got because I've taken classes on social entrepreneurship and everything. I think it, what I what I glean, at least, is is the diff most difficult thing about being a nonprofit is being a nonprofit and that you might have the heart and intention, but given the background, and skill that each of these people have. The structure is not always equipped to hit all these like external objectives that like become increasingly important to you as your organization grows. Yeah, and I feel like 
just we came in to, I guess, work specifically on the SHARE program. So once we kind of got briefed on everything that Save One Life was doing on the student side, like our primary, I guess, research goal, especially in the first semester, was at first to just understand medical donation processes and the distribution and then kind of, you know, hone in on, especially within the blood disorder community and those affected by hemophilia. I just think it's fascinating. So I just want, for our listeners, just, you guys did not really know of hemophilia before you started this project. Is that right? Yeah, I did not. But which is, yeah. which, you know, so many people don't know about hemophilia. And even if they do know about hemophilia, they don't necessarily know, like you wouldn't know the process unless you're affected by it. From your view, what are some of your thoughts about the program? So, I mean, 155 million units from, 20, from 2002 uh, to over 77 you know, developing countries is amazing. So I think that was like the first stats we were reading on. And one thing I love about Project Share is that, and this is what Utana kind of touched on before, what we learned in our first semester. We were doing a lot of research and we were really diving into mm-hmm. this community. And we learned at, about this personal connection, right? And, and the one thing about Project Share is that not only is it bringing factor, it's bringing this aid. But it's also bringing knowledge. And I think the knowledge is what is the most important part about it. Because in all these niche groups that we've been finding, uh, speaking to a lot of people, last semester we've learned that not only is there like a way for you to reach a specialty pharmacist or, or, or get your factor, but also there's a community here for you to say, hey, I'm going through this. I'm going through X, Y, and Z. Are you having the same problem? Oh, wow. Now I feel connected to you in this way. And now we can reach this solution physically and emotionally. So the sharing of the knowledge, I think, is as important as the factor. And what we saw was that that individual experience and that story is the most important and probably needs to come first before hmm. um, factor does. It was really helpful, right? So when you, when you show these stories and, and you show what's happening, people are, are more connected. Everyone is sharing stories and trying to learn from each other and they want to all be together mm-hmm. and find commonality with, with one another. And that commonality is what we want to kind of tap into to really solve this problem. So for the SHARE program, where does the majority of factor come from? Like, where do we receive it from? Let's investigate the network that brings about these donations. I obviously became extremely aware of the vast disparity in, in the hemophiliac experience, depending on healthcare and access to healthcare and availability of even just blood disorder advocacy in general. It seems to me that it like the um, American hemophiliac community is so well connected that it, it's it's almost a a disorder you can live with and you can you know you can create community around. That is not the truth for a lot of global hemophiliacs. They don't, sometimes they don't even know they have hemophilia. And what I loved about Project Share is that it seems to kind of, it presents an opportunity to leverage the fact that there is a huge American community that is active within their medical community. Like it's very reciprocal in that way for, for each patient. And what I like about Project Share is that it kind of leverages like the, the excess of care and ability that these people might have, people globally with the kind of care and the kind of support that a lot of American hemophiliacs get to experience. And it, it was very clear to me that like most participants and, and members are always looking for ways to get more involved. And if we can kind of start 
reminding them of project share so that it's always in the back of their mind where the medicine is still valid for distribution and all this kind of stuff. But it is such an easy way to kind of provide American hemophiliacs or people within the hemophilia community. It provides them a way to pay it forward. So Isaiah Martinez, I'd love to get your thoughts on this. From a Save One Life perspective, you're mentoring this group of uh, Capstone students. What, what has it been like to share the work of the organization? It's been a really remarkable experience. They love the organization, and they love what the organization stands for. So when you couple enthusiasm like that, you're, you're, you get some pretty good results. And one of the first things that these guys came up with is we need to focus on making it easier for people to make a donation. And so you know, we've looked at ways on which we can integrate processes on the website, look at ways to make the processes run faster behind the scenes where we're hopefully here um, within the year, we can actually start maybe even sending shipping labels out to our customers to make it seem like a kind of a more returns type basis like with Amazon. And we know that what, 70, I think 75% is the number was thrown out of people who don't have access to factor globally, just what SHARE can do to help makes a profound impact. And so by making it easier for folks to donate, and what these students are hoping is that that can actually help increase awareness. It can help increase and, and maybe just like the name of the organization says, save, you know, one life. And if we could just continue to focus on saving one more life at a time, then I think that when people are transitioning from their factor that, you know, if we can meet them where that's at, while they're transitioning to a new size or they're transitioning from to a new factor therapy, that they, they, they keep this organization in mind and we make it easier for them on the business side to make that, that, that transaction, then, you know, it's going to make such a huge impact and stuff. So I agree. I think I'm, I'm so glad you said that. I, just to reiterate, I think, you know, I said the word grassroots before, and it is like this is a grassroots program. You know, I've I've been with Chris Bombardier. You know, when we make a delivery, it is a person to person, which is lovely. And at the same time, this is not symptom management medication. This is truly life saving management. So I just hats off to you guys and your fellow students. Please let them know from us. I mean, you truly are saving lives with streamlining um, the process and, and bringing some of this. I get goosebumps. It's really exciting. As kind of a wrap up, what will you bring from this experience, from working with Save One Life, from seeing it from that angle in, in terms of storytelling, community building? What will you bring from this experience to your, um, to your business careers? To wrap it up, like th th what I'm bringing from this is when you find out why your audience cares, it's a lot easier for you to go ahead and go and, and push a message or an agenda. And, and, you know, with Project Share, the factor does so much, but also this project also helps these communities, right? That's one thing that I'm kind of pulling from this and seeing it happen in real time, seeing the, the, the positive reactions has been amazing. And I think that's what, I, what I'm going to pull from this. That's so great. Isaiah, that's great. Yutana, what about you? Made me realize that you, every time you go into space, I, it, there's actually a whole history that is internal. So that was what, like, mm. yeah, was very interesting to me. Made me realize, like, 
a lot about there's always people who come at things with immense confidence and lots of like expert knowledge kind of attitude and I didn't necessarily have that and so for me it was really empowering I guess to understand the more engaged I got with it the it kind of the world built around me a little bit more and I understood it a little bit more and that was really rewarding for me it's it's much more tangible than learning a lot and not necessarily seeing a lot around you and just having all these thoughts. Well, thank you to the three of you. This has just been a pleasure. It's always enlightening when folks outside of the community come in and can kind of see how the community functions, the importance of it. Um, Sometimes it validates us a little bit because we work in our own little vacuum. And so I just, I thank you for your work. I'm excited to see what you do with your careers. We're so excited. And thank you again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you again. Thank you, students of Brown University. Thank you to Isaiah Martinez, volunteer with Save One Life. And of course, thank you to Bo as well, all for joining in this episode of the Bloodstream Podcast. To follow along with those organizations and those activities, please check out the links in the program notes. Amy, next week on Bloodstream, what do we have in store? We have a brand new monthly segment that we are debuting next week. It's all about mental health, and it's going to follow along and be an extension of our mental health film, Let's Talk, that many of you saw at the BDC last year and maybe at your local chapter. We're very excited to debut that. You'll hear um, from a bunch of experts around the community. You'll also hear stories from your peers and members of the community about their ongoing um, challenges and successes with mental health. We'll also hear from the Sickle Cell warrior who founded the Ruby Ball Foundation. So we'll get a great patient story as well. So stick around for next week's episode. That conversation is a good one. Very interesting journey that that individual has had. But that's for next week. Thank you, Amy, for the preview. Thank you, Greg, for everything you do. The Bloodstream team, thank you for making this show possible. Thank you all for listening. Please remember to subscribe, rate, review, and share the Bloodstream podcast with anyone and everyone that you know. That's my new call to action. Just share this with everyone all the time. And thanks, as always, to Kata for being the presenting sponsor of the Bloodstream podcast, bleedingdisorders.com to learn more. And that is all for this episode. Have a bleeding disorders or health topic you would like to hear us discuss more? Is there an expert or a guest that you are dying to hear from? Want to inquire about casting opportunities for Bloodstream's narrative and docu-styled podcast series? There's also video series. There's a lot of series. I just haven't updated this copy. If you want to be a part of what we're doing, email us at mailbag at bloodstreammedia.com or connect with Bloodstream Media on social media. You'll find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Or you can follow Amy or me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Shout out to all the committed LinkedIn users out there. Check out the program notes for this episode in your podcast player or on bloodstreammedia.com where you will find links and information related to the stories and segments featured on this episode. I am your host, Patrick James Lynch. And I am your other host, Amy Board. And until next time, let's see if I can get it right this time. Take self-care of yourself. Ha ha! Bye, everybody.